matchup this weekend with the University of Texas, Austin. Baseball's won five of its last six games, so we have to talk a little bit of spring sports, but ESPN releases its top 25 college football rankings. Oklahoma surprisingly high in that, or Oklahoma's just where you thought they would be. We'll talk about that as well. Rich is asking the true or false questions. We're going to rank the Big 12 football coaches on this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. According to Job Security, use updates from spring football as well, but let's start on the hardwood where things just got a little bit more complicated for new Oklahoma basketball coach Porter Mosier just less than a week after Mosier went public to say that he thought Devion Harmon was coming back to the University of Oklahoma. He and Alondis Williams, when I say he, not Mosier, Devion Harmon and Alondis Williams become the next two Oklahoma basketball players to jump into the transfer portal. Rich, I mean, I hate to be that guy, but I've been saying this for, this is the third podcast, third podcast in a row. So three weeks I've been saying, hey, I think Devion Harmon may be finished at the University of Oklahoma, regardless of what happens with his NBA draft aspirations. I even took some heat last week because I said it last week on the podcast. And then right after we, you know, we recorded on Thursday and I think Saturday is when Mosier said he expects Harmon to be back in Norman. I took a little bit of Twitter heat. You know, I'm not going to lie. I took a little bit of Twitter, got a few text messages, but here we are. Not a single person who called me out on Twitter or sent me a text has said, dude, you were right. Davion Harmon's in the transfer portal. So I... I'm not a guy who always pats myself on the back. I pat myself on the back a lot, though. Not always, but a lot, especially in situations like this, when people kind of call me out and then, boom, here we are. Let me... Wait, did you call me out? Are I you on? I don't know that I, oh, okay, I did. Okay, okay. I don't know. I, I don't actually think that to be the case. And the reason being, I would just want to because you had such a pregnant pause there why, when it was your yeah, turn yeah, yeah. to talk. Why, why I would say no, though, Matt, to that question was, I, when you go from essentially one era, we had a decade with Lon Kruger to ushering in a new era. It puts a program on unstable ground. Things are a little bit shaky and players are going to begin to question what's best for me mm -hmm. in this situation. But they're also going to ask the question of how do I fit with the current system that will now be employed. And a lot of different ideas are going to be thrown out from the individual themselves, from their circle of influence, their friends. It's going to come from their family and it's going to come from former coaches a lot of input is all of a sudden going to flood these players' lives of what they should do, and they've got to sift through it all and ultimately, as I mentioned, decide what's best for them. Devion Harmon talking about the NBA draft, talking about the potential of coming back and still competing at the collegiate level if he were to go undrafted made me feel as though he was already looking to move, right. already looking at what's next for me. And that wasn't to say that he had completely discounted or discluded the Oklahoma Sooners from that equation, but it did tell you that there was something bigger. There was something new that was on his radar where that, that finally lands. We wouldn't know, but we do know now that Devion Harmon is in that transfer portal and Porter Moser is going to have a lot, a lot of vacancies to fill on this roster. Yeah. And I do think it's a, 
having said what I already said about this situation, I do think it's important to note that just because a guy's in the portal doesn't mean he's not going to come out back in Norman. I mean, there's a chance he's going to come out somewhere. I really feel like if I'm Carlin Hartman at UNLV now, I'm calling both Davion Harmon and Brady Manick and saying, look, come out here. Come help us get established right here in Las Vegas. What 22-year-old kid doesn't want to go to Las Vegas and play basketball? And so I think there's a chance that there's, I mean, Duke, uh, not Duke, North Carolina just offered Brady Manick a scholarship. So these guys are out there exploring their options and trying to find what is the best fit for them. But I, what I think it means, Rich, is is what you're saying. The, the Lon Kruger era is over, and there will be very few remnants of that era once this team takes the court in October or November. And I think when you see these guys, there was clearly some good conversations between Porter Mosier and Davian Harmon last week where Mosier was confident enough to say what he said, but then Harmon jumps out there and, and jumps in the portal. Um, I, I think what it means is that what Mosier's going to do with this basketball team is so far removed from the philosophy that Lon Kruger recruited these kids for that they're just like, you know what? I'm going to go and at least see if there's not something better out there that fits my skill set. Because we know Mosier, he is going to focus on defense. You watch Loyola Chicago, you see but what they did. My question to you, Matt, then, is is why is that different from what Lon Kruger was bringing to the table? Because what we saw out of Lon Kruger was the desire to recruit athletes who could could if they wanted to deploy a full court press for 40 minutes. Yeah. Look, uh, if you look at this roster that, that they have and you, you throw Harmon back in there, you throw Brady Manning back in there, you, you throw Kirk West back in there. Core, all those guys, you put them all back. The only guy on this roster right now who looks like a Porter Mosier player is Elijah Harkless. Elijah Harkless is that guy who will give you 40 solid minutes of defense. There's no cherry picking with Elijah Harkless. There's no, no, no sloughing down the floor and slowly getting to your spot. He is that guy that I feel like Harkless is like, I'm all in. You, you give it all to me right now. I'm becoming the leader of this team because I see what you did at Loyola. That matches who I am, and I'm all for it. Brady Manick, defensive liability. I mean, there's no there's no way around it. He's a defensive liability. That's why he's in the portal. Davian Harmon is a guy who likes to run and gun. He's so good in transition. But if he's got a defensive responsibility that keeps him out from doing that transition game 60% of the time, then, hey, maybe I'm going to go look and see what someone else has to offer. The only question that, that begins to come to mind in this transitional period for me with the number of players who are either declaring their intentions to go pro or declaring that they have entered the transfer portal, I don't know that that's something you declare. I think it's an action you take and then news outlets begin mm -hmm. to catch wind. They begin to see the names in that transfer portal, and then they begin to report on it. I don't know how long a guy like Devion Harmon, I don't know how long a guy like Alondis William has been in the transfer portal, but we we do know that that fresh. is... That's fresh. I yeah, I'm going to say yeah. that we do know that that is official as of today, at the very least. And what it says to me, Matt, is maybe there's something on the horizon that is also determining some of these individuals, some of these players, and, and their course of action, their trajectory mm -hmm. right now. There's one that I've got with the true or false, and it shouldn't come as a surprise to you when we get to that segment, because I've been, I've, 
I've been a big, big advocate for potentially pulling some of the talent from Loyola Chicago to OU. Now that these players are vacating those spots, and more specifically, it's a very, very, very thin front court for me. Mm -hmm. Looking at that, are there options that do exist? And I get it. If we just want to look at the NCAA basketball realm, men's basketball, and look at the number of names in the transfer portal, it's well over 1,300. Oh, yeah. I mean, well everybody, everybody's a free agent now. And speaking of that, Eastern Washington, uh, Tanner Groves, he, he has cut his lease, his least. He's cut his list to Oklahoma, Portland, Texas, and Washington State. So there is good news out there. For Porter Mosier that, you know, there, there's guys that you know, CJ Nolan announced, hey, I'm still in. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it, I don't think this team is going to be the Iowa State of the Big 12 next season. I clearly think there, there's the there's a massive potential. They're going to take a step backwards. But it goes back to what we talked about, I believe, last week on the podcast is no one knows at this time what this roster is going to look like. I can tell you one name. there. I can tell you two names that I hope do land on this Oklahoma roster, but I will label them as long shots at best right now. There's just not a lot of information. There's a lot of moving parts still. We, we've we talked about the number, just the multitude of names that currently exist in that transfer portal. Attempting to sift through those and find players that fit your schematics and what you want to do, whether that's a certain level of physicality, whether that's a certain level of athleticism. If you're looking for role players, we know that they exist in numbers, in mass, in the transfer portal, it's a question of who are you going to get and right. who's going to buy in 100% and fill the role that you're asking them to fill on this team. Because let's be honest, Matt, a majority of these kids that are in the transfer portal, yes, I'm calling them kids. I feel like I fit no, that yeah, age yeah, yeah. officially. I got no problem with it. When we look at these kids and where they come from, a lot of them were the star at their school, maybe even in their district, maybe even in their state. And the NCAA level, the collegiate level, has portrayed them in a completely different light. And there's one name that I think fits that mold for me right now. And it's Bryce Thompson. Yeah, look, I, and, and I know Trey young got on Twitter and started recruiting him as well, but to, I look, look what's going on with, uh, with Chandler Morris at, at TCU. There there's, there's so many complications when you transfer in conference. I'm not saying it can't happen, I'm saying that's that's to me uh, that's a longer shot than than what uh, some people want it to be. I, I would love it, love it for him to do, to for him to end up in Norman. I just don't know that it will. Um, okay, Oklahoma baseball after losing three in a row to TCU. By the way, TCU is really really good. The Sooners have won five of the last six games. They beat Oral Roberts in a slugfest, 14 to 12, after going down eight to nothing early in that game. They took two or three from Kansas, and then they swept Texas Southern on Wednesday of this week in a shortened doubleheader. I believe those games only went seven innings, but they went six nothing and five one. Now they're off to Manhattan, Kansas, to find uh, hopefully a series win against Pete Hughes and the Kansas State Wildcats. Um, I don't know that I'm ready to say that Oklahoma baseball is surging, but I mean, they're in a good spot right now. They're they're clearly turning some things around. And you can talk about the stretch of games that came before these, where Oklahoma had dropped, was it eight or seven of the, the, the eight? Yeah, or well, eight you, of the you, nine? you lose two out of three to Texas. You get swept by um, you get swept by TCU. 
I think they swept Houston before that Texas series started. They lost to Oklahoma State in that. So yeah, it was a little bit, little rough stretch there. I think they lost uh, six or seven. Yeah, is what it was. All I'm saying is we have polar opposites that have played out so for, so far for the course of this team, and it's a very, very different look than what we saw towards the beginning of last season when Oklahoma came in. We had the immediate re- recognition of a no-hitter that was being displayed on the national scene, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just against a slouch team. That was against a ranked opponent right, right. on the road. Oklahoma began to rise. They began to well, play with this level. Neutral field. Well, they I, I they began to play <laughs> with a level of confidence that, again, supported their surge in the rankings. And when we begin to talk about that term, using that label of surge, I think of teams that are on that mm-hmm. that plane. This Oklahoma team is not on that same plane as last year's team was. But I will say this. as It appears as though they are finally getting things headed in the right direction. It it all comes down to, to the offense for me, though, Matt. I, no, I'm opposite. To me, it comes down to pitching. I, I don't think he's as deep. Uh, Skip Johnson ha- has the, the depth that he had hoped he would have uh, in the bullpen. Uh, sticking on the diamond, walking the 10 minutes over to the softball stadium, Oklahoma, <laughs> a big, big series this weekend, hosting number seven, Texas. Um, if you've not had a chance to see the Sooner softball women uh, do their thing, Saturday and Sunday, both of those games will be aired on ESPN2. Uh, this definitely, this has been an amazing start to the season for Oklahoma, but this is a kind of a gut check time. Because Texas is uh, Texas is coming for Oklahoma's Big 12 title, and this kind of lets you know. I mean, this is this is either going to let you know that the, this Big 12 tournament coming up next month is going to be an actual real competition, or if Oklahoma is still every bit as dominant in this conference as what they have been for I don't know the last 30 years. Okay, not really, but a third of that in the last 10 years. Um, I'm pretty excited about this series. As well, you should be. Um, you want to talk about a couple of teams who have figured things out in the circle. These are two teams mm-hmm. who appear to have stellar, stellar play from the the pitchers. When it comes to what we're seeing in this, I mean, for lack of a better term, Matt, for lack of a better analogy, Texas is looking for that Cat Osterman, and they're looking for that type of play all the way around mm-hmm. from the entire ball club. I don't know how long ago it was that Kat Osterman played. I do know she's still playing and she's competing on the international level, which talks to the, the level of talent that she was. But Texas has, finally has something good going for them. And I think we've seen this building for the past three years and the way that they've been recruiting and the way they've been able to secure some of these top recruits, not just locally, but, but from afar as well. Texas has been building towards this. I think this is a, a pivotal matchup here in the Big 12, and it'll say a lot about just how far Texas has come. But as you've mentioned, Matt, I, I'm going to piggyback what you've said. It's also going to tell us just how dominant this Oklahoma right. team can be. And when we look at the record, the track record for the current season of the Oklahoma Sooners, they have some pretty impressive wins. And it's not going to be any slight to a team like Team Mexico, but I think Texas may be better than Team Mexico as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. But the the question is, are they better than Arizona State? Are they better than Missouri? Uh Some of the top 25 teams Oklahoma has faced so far this season. And 
And, you know, this is the reason why Texas went out and hired Mike White away from Oregon, because they needed somebody who could, on the recruiting trail and the X's and O's, compete with Patty Gasso. You and I have experience with Mike White. We covered him at the Women's College World Series. One thing I like about Mike White is his excuses. And if Oklahoma takes this series, I, I'm curious to know why they lost. You know, this is a guy who who's took to the podium in Oklahoma City, and when Oregon was a high seed, they may have been the, the number one overall seed, and just said, hey, we lost because the umpire had a different strike zone for us than he did for the other team. No, that's garbage, dude. <laughs> I mean, but he's it's excuse after excuse after excuse. And one thing that Mike White was good at was getting highly ranked teams who just kind of fell on their faces on the big stage. And this is the biggest stage for Mike White since he came to Texas. But it's also the biggest stage that this Oklahoma softball team has been in in, in a couple of years because last year COVID took away the conference play portion of the season. And so I, I just think this is going to be good for softball. It's going to be good for Oklahoma. And it should be fun for the fans to be here and because it's sold out. The fans that are yeah. – whatever allotted tickets are there, they're gone. But you can I watch mean, them. If, if you didn't foresee this being sold out – You've been living under you a rock. You don't know much about softball. Okay. And it's not even that, Matt. A lot of it comes just from the sheer rivalry. Yeah. The yeah. The, the divide of the Red River. But these are the two best eyeballs. teams in the conference yes, right yes. now. So I'm saying even if Oklahoma and Texas on the football field aren't the best teams in the conference, it's still going to be a sold-out game because of the rivalry, right. just the, the nature of the game in and of itself. Okay, so ESPN has its top 25 college football rankings. We're going to talk about that. Rich has true or false. We're going to rank the Big 12 coaches in order of the most secure to the least secure. And then we've got some spring football tidbits to tidy up. Uh, this is the Sooner Nation podcast. Okay, depending on who you listen to, the first, quote, major poll of the 2021 college football season is out. I've got a little bit of beef with that because I don't consider the ESPN poll to be a, quote, major poll. Because when I'm looking for rankings and matchups and so forth, I don't really look at ESPN. I go to USA Today coaches poll because I'm always curious about the good old buddy system, what their friends think of their friends. And I look at the AP. I mean, that's that's what I look at. And then once the college football rankings come out for the playoffs, I don't look at anything else other than the, the, the playoff rankings. That said, ESPN has released its top 25 for the early season. And already, I mean, th th here's what they did. They started at 25, and they worked their way down to one. Have you seen this poll yet, Rich? I have not. Okay, so do you know where Oklahoma is? I don't. Oh, good. We're, we're going to have fun here with this. Now, um, I call bull poo-poo on this poll already once I get from 25 to 20. All right? Because you want to guess who is number 24 in this poll? Should I know this? I mean, I, you're looking at me like I'm going to tell know you this. who it is, and you tell me if they're a top 25 team or not. Florida, not Florida. It's West Virginia. Do you see West Virginia as a top 25 team? Um. So no. Okay. okay so let's. So I I wanted to make an argument in favor uh -huh. of West Virginia. What but, you got? You got but nothing. The, the problem for me is the consistency at quarterback. We just haven't seen a level of consistency that I would expect from a top 25 program. There are different aspects of their game that were vastly improved last year uh -huh. that I would consider top 25 in the country, but it's a whole package here. You can't just look at one aspect of what West Virginia brings to the table and then 
lob them in with the top 25 for those reasons and just completely disregard the negative. Okay, so here's 25 is Indiana. I I, I give them, yeah, well, top Indiana 25. Indiana was a yep. little bit of a surprise yep. team last but year. I got no sure. problem with that. 24 mm-hmm. West Virginia. I got major problems with West Virginia being a preseason top 25 team. 23 Iowa, eh, maybe. I mean, historically, they're they're one of the old Big Ten blue bloods. 22 Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. I got still no problem with Ole Miss at 22. Here's my next beef, number 21, Matt Wells and the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Wow, <laughs> I I have no response for what Texas Tech put up last year and what Texas Tech has done consistently. Uh-huh. Under Matt Wells, four wins last year, Matt. Four uh, yeah, sinking I'm, right. That's what I'm wins. saying. This this poll immediately loses credibility in my mind. You get, do, do they know something that we don't? I, well, no, because look, wait, just, we're not even close to being finished yet. Number twenty is the Miami Hurricanes. You get to number nineteen, TCU Horn Frogs. Not only is Gary Patterson's team who hasn't really done much recently. Now they would have been bowl eligible, but their bowl got. Uh, COVIDed out against Arkansas. I mean, the Chandler Morris effect, but still, right? Still, yeah, Chandler Morris begging to let him play. But I mean, this to me, this is evidence you don't need Chandler Morris. Without Chandler Morris, ESPN thinks you're a top, not just a top 25 team. They got Gary Patterson and TCU top 20 at number well, 19. And, and I, I would be okay with that. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I would be okay with that. Mm, I, I was being in a top 20. 21 through 25, I would accept it. Not top what? 20. So get, get, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as to why you think that they're a top 25 team, but not a top 20. Okay, who's going to play quarterback for this team? Duggan. And there you go. That that's all you need. That, that why? Duggan, because they they have they it has been a quarterback catastrophe for the, like the last four seasons at TCU. Name the last great quarterback. I mean, who do they have? That, Kenny, that, Kenny Hill. I knew you were going there. I knew it. <laughs> I, I'm I mean, teasing. It's just, yeah. That whole thing fell through. And when that fell through, this team has not had good quarterback play. I think they're decent at running back. I think they're better than decent at wide receiver. I think they're going to have struggles along the so, offensive so line. So what you're saying is they're much like West Virginia. That, no, they're that, better than West Virginia. No, no, no. In the fact that if they can prove that they've got a quality quarterback under center, mm. it would change your opinion no, pretty vastly no. of them. Uh, yes, in that aspect, yes. I, but I don't think West I don't think West Virginia has near the tools of what Gary Patterson does, particularly when you go to the defensive side of the ball. But I, I mean, look, Gary Patterson and TCU, they could be a team that jumps out of nowhere and surprises people. But I've got to see it to believe it. Um, and I'm just, I'm not buying it right now. So you got three, you got three teams so far in the in this top 25 from the Big 12. Two of them, in my opinion, no way they should be in the top 25. One of them should be 21 through 25. But let's, shall we continue? Number 18, LSU, no issues there. Number 17, Oregon, got no beef. <laughs> you got beef? LSU. Number 16, Auburn. <laughs> 15, Wisconsin. Number 14, the Florida Gators. I mean, Dan Mullen finally gets to play significant football again. So we'll see what happens now that the games actually mean something once again. North Carolina, Mac, Mac Brown and the North Carolina Tar Heels at number 13. Is this a top 15 team? I, I, I look, I, 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 the fact that they're returning Sam Howell is good. 
This is a team that is developing and growing, but are they ready to take the ACC by storm? Apparently, apparently, ESPN thinks so. But it's not number 13 that I got my next beef with. It's number 12. Let me just ask you this, Rich. Where would you rank the Texas Longhorns starting the season? Not number 12. Well, ESPN has a number 12. I would I would put them in the same category as TCU, and I know the Texas fans that don't listen to our podcast would be really mad because they think they should be top 10 every year. But we talk about the preseason Texas love, that every year they're a preseason top 25 team. But think about what this team has lost, what they're continuing to lose, brand new coaching staff, and ESPN doesn't think that they're going to be a top 25 team. They're not going to be a top 20 team. They're going to be a fringe top 10 team at number 12. I'm not buying that at all. A lot of the argument, my take on this situation, a lot of the argument comes from the talent that exists on the roster. Because I think anybody, if you're looking objectively, anybody can look at their roster and say, yes, there's plenty of talent that exists. Mm-hmm. But as we know, Texas has not done the best at developing that talent. I don't know if Steve Sarkeesian is the savior for Texas football, but what I do know, Matt, is there's a lot of pressure being placed upon this program with the amount of money that has come out of the university in order to secure a guy like Sarkeesian. And if you think the players don't feel that there's going to be a complete mm-hmm. world of hurt that comes upon them when they fail to produce. Well, you, you've got, uh, you got, Figure out the quarterback situation, and you know you got a former Oklahoma recruit, a former Westmore Jaguar. No, sorry, Southmore. Oh, Saber I almost messed that. Mm-hmm. I'm a former Southmore quarterback there, and Casey Thompson. Um, but I mean, the, the, beyond Robinson, I, I'm just not so. I'm not saying Texas doesn't deserve to be top 25 to start the season. I you can't sell me that they're fringe top 10 right now. You just can't. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame, number 11, starting into the top 10 now. Here we go. Penn State at number 10. Oklahoma State, number 9. <laughs> you, yeah, if I, I could have captured your face there. I am a little bit surprised by that. Now, did and you see uh, Spencer Sanders' comment this week? I didn't. So Spencer Sanders says, you know, look, if, if we if we do our thing offensively, basically don't shut ourselves down. There's no one can stop us. And we know this because every day we go up against the best defense in this conference. Most experienced. Yeah, I can get on board with that. Best defense. A little bit iffy for me. And Spencer Sanders, while a great athletic quarterback, has made too many mistakes for this team to be as successful as they would like to be. And I think you can go back and look at any of the big games that he's played in, whether it was because of an injury or whether it was because of turnovers that he was ultimately uh, a, a major player in why Oklahoma state was suffering defeat. I look, I mean, I, I'm thinking about what they've lost. Uh, they, you, Not on the gone. defensive side well, of the ball. But yeah. But you got score points in the big 12 and Wallace, Chuba Hubbard, Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, all right, we'll move on. Mike Leach and Mississippi State, number eight. Georgia, number seven. Here we go. Uh, Texas A&M, number six. Eh, okay, they deserve to be a top ten. I got no beef there. Now let's move into the top five where you got all. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Does, does Texas A&M, are they returning Kellen Mond? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. Wait, are they? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they are. Let's I see. thought he declared for the draft. Um, now you're going to make me read about him. Uh, yeah. Um. 
Kellen Mond scripted his own Sorry. pro day. Haynes Let's King. me know all yeah. that I want to know. Haynes King is going to be the new quarterback, but that uh, Isaiah Spiller at running back, I, I, I still got no problem with them in the top ten. Same reason I got no problem with Iowa State number five. They lost their quarterback. And then number four, this is where it gets really good. You want to guess who number four is? Big 12 team. Oklahoma? Not Oklahoma. Number four, Iowa State. Iowa wow. State at number four. Then you get to number three. You want to guess number three? I'm a, we're gonna we're gonna guess. Let you guess the top. I should let you do the whole top five. But yes, yeah, you so got Iowa State number four. Who who are you gonna guess number three? I'll tell you right now, it's not Oklahoma. Three. No, no, no. And I didn't okay. think that it was. Right. Um, of the teams that haven't been mentioned that I thought would be up there in the top top seven range. Um, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma are the three that we haven't listed. No, we we talked about Ohio State. They're number five. Oh, okay. I missed that one. I'm sorry. Fell asleep on. I did. I did. Dude, I don't know. Then number three, Alabama. No, you already. It's one of the teams you just mentioned. It's Clemson. It's Clemson. Yeah, okay. Clemson. At, at then number I three. didn't. I didn't mention Alabama. Right. Right. So that leaves us number two and number one. I'll let you pick number okay. two. I th- I think number two is going to be Oklahoma. And I think number one is going to be Alabama and, and it will continue. It It will continue to be that way because of the level of success that Nick Saban has provided because of the sustained success that he's provided despite starting a freshman quarterback or a senior quarterback. It it just hasn't really mattered for him. Now that said, this this is the ESPN power index. um, Here's how it it says this ESPN's football power index is a measure of team strength that is meant to be the best predictor of a team's performance going forward for the rest of the season. FBI represents how many points above or below the average team is. Projected results are based on 10,000 simulations and the rest of the season using FBI FBI results to date and the remaining schedule. Now, the ratings are projected to update daily. It's going to update once the season starts. I just, look, I I don't care how you're doing it. Um, the, The second that you get... Those teams in the top 25 that we talked about, West Virginia. I mean, look, I just to me, you you lose credibility, um, and that I mean that's all that's all I got to say about that. All right, we're gonna rank the Big 12 coaches from most secure to least secure, and in the middle of that, Rich, you're gonna throw in some true or false questions. Now we're not officially into that portion of the offseason because we still have spring ball to deal with but we're not officially in that portion of the offseason where you just got to go through and you got to rank everything but it is spring football and then after this you have you go headlong into the summer and in this and that just leads you into all this anticipation and excitement and enthusiasm for most teams in the big 12 for most teams and like if you're in lawrence kansas you're just like oh dang we got we still gotta wait nine more months for basketball you know um that's kind of well seven months but that's where you are if you're in lawrence kansas but that said every year there are coaches who are kind of fat and happy and there are coaches who are really coaching for their job and so what we're going to do is based on our opinion we're going to give you the top five are guys that you don't think they have to worry about their job in 2021. Now, clearly, the closer you get to five, you're teetering a little bit towards the hot water. But then six through ten are guys that kind of they're either coaching to to jump in that top five or they're straight up coaching to save their job. So that's that's how we're going to approach this. So that's my understanding, Rich. Is that how you've got them ranked as well? Yes. Yes. Okay. So without further ado, let's let's start with our top five. The five 
the five coaches who were the most comfortable going in to the 2021 college football season. I'll let you start. Tell me why you have Lincoln Riley at number one. Yes, there is no one more comfortable in their seat than Lincoln Riley is. It's because of the Big 12 championships. It's because of the title appearances. It's because of the college football playoff appearances. It's because of the success in bowl games that don't involve the college football playoff. Which is what? As well. And so when we look at the University of Oklahoma, Matt, there's been a trend that has happened here. And it's that Oklahoma hasn't fired a coach since 1998. That bodes well for a guy like Lincoln Riley. And name that coach. It was Bobby Bones. I'm kidding. John Blake, rest in I peace. Know. Um, you you, you called me out just on the spot, man. I had, I was like, the only uh, name just, that came that came to mind was Bobby Bones, and then it was Schnellenberger. You know, you know, John Blake was one of three consecutive, three or four consecutive coaches fired. Hey, I've, I've hijacked you. Now. Hey, yeah, I need to state this. I know Bobby Bones is not a coach. Okay. I think everybody knows that. I know, but I don't want to seem like the fool saying, "Oh yeah, Bobby Bones is a football coach." I know that he's not. Can, can you name in order the four consecutive coaches that oh, it started with John Blake? Matt, you got number four. I was a kid, man. I'm just asking if you. I mean, how much? You, okay, Schnellenberger was before John Blake, so we're going mm-hmm. reverse order. So you got your 50 percent there. Brown. You it's know, a really Mac, common last a lot name. Of, no, but a lot of people don't realize that Mac Brown actually used to be an assistant coach for the University of Oklahoma. He wasn't fired, but he actually used to be an offensive coordinator for Barry Switzer. I was. Did you know that? that? No, I didn't. That's a common name, so I was hoping to strike some gold there. I've got nothing for you. Okay, on the, so the final so ones. we're going reverse order. You had uh, John Blake get fired, Howard Schnellenberger get fired, both of them recently deceased. Uh, I hate saying that about these guys. And then you got Gary Gibbs and Barry Switzer. So they mm-hmm. the four in a row uh, go. got fired. You got Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma number yeah, one. Lincoln I hijacked Riley, you. Go ahead. You're good. You're good. All I was gonna say with Lincoln Riley is that a coach has not been fired from the University of Oklahoma on the football field since 1998. And when you're looking at longevity, when you're looking at stability, there's nothing that says a program is as stable if you're not firing coaches consistently. And I get it. We're, you just named four coaches who were fired by the University of Oklahoma. When that those 90s, the, the mid-90s were being played out, that was not a job that was highly desirable by any individual. It didn't matter how good you were. Bob Stoops comes in and really changes the perception of that. And I think Lincoln Riley is continuing yeah. what what Bob Stoops did and the firm foundation that he placed this university and the football program on. So, of course, when you look at the longevity, when you look at the sustained success, anybody, Matt, I don't care who it is. It could be you. It could be me. Anybody would say I would take that job in a heartbeat. Ergo, it is a very stable position to be in. Yeah, I, I agree. I've got Lincoln Riley number one as well. Lincoln Riley basically writes his own ticket. I don't say that he writes his own ticket from here on out, but he writes his own ticket for at least the next three or four years. If he adds a, a national championship to all those Big 12 championships, then he moves in that era of Barry Switzer, Bob Stoops, as the, the greatest of the modern era. Um, and I say modern era, and that means going back to the 70s forward uh the the last 50 years um who you got at number two no 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 you give me your number two okay i've got matt campbell in iowa state yeah number two and for many of the same reasons as lincoln riley to, to see the rise of iowa state to where they were last year they beat the sooners in ames they really made a competitive mega competitive game against Oklahoma in Arlington. Actually a game that was, it was a better Oklahoma team than the one that traveled to Ames, Iowa 
and they the Cyclones still went toe to toe with the Sooners so much so that it required a Trey Brown interception on the last final seconds to secure that for the Sooners. Matt Campbell is on walking on on gold this season in Ames, Iowa. Yeah, twenty four and twelve goes a long way, especially for a program that was once considered a a, a cellar mm-hmm. dweller or a bottom feeder of the Big 12 to come in and to be able to turn around the the national perception of this team so much so that you find yourself in the top 10 of these projected rankings for, for top, 20, five. top five of the projected rankings for 2021. It says a lot about you as a coach and y- your ability. Okay, number three. Number three, I, I, this one's going to be a little bit of a toss-up for me here, okay? Because I have a name that I want to go with, but I'm backing off of that oh, in the moment, and okay. I'm actually going to go with with Chris Kleiman, Kleiman, Kleiman. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And and the Kansas reason State. the reasoning for me is I get he's he's fresh there. Mm-hmm. He is a new coach. He's following a guy who has his name on that stadium right. in in Snyder. Needless to say, when you look at what is happening, what's transpiring in Kansas State, I feel as though though Kleiman's been handed a very very short deck, uh-huh. and it comes because of injuries. Despite the injuries, what has he done? That's right. He's beat Oklahoma in consecutive years. Right. And when you're competing and beating, it's, I get it's not a huge rivalry, um, but when you're beating, when you're competing with some of the top opponents, it affords you some, some, some grace in the mistakes and in some of the setbacks that we saw because of the injuries. So I think, again, because of the newness of him at Kansas State, because of beating Oklahoma in back-to-back seasons, the leash has has a little bit of slack to it for him. No, 100%. Actually, quite a bit of slack. 100% agree. I don't have climbing at number four. Number three, I have whoever becomes the next head coach at Kansas. Now, there's a caveat to this. I do believe Kansas will hire a new head coach sometime between now and in August when the season starts. And that guy, I mean, everyone's going to understand the situation he's walking into. Misses spring ball, misses most of the recruiting period. Mm -hmm. He's going to jump into this position. And all of 2021 is going to be a grace. They they could lose all 12 of their games by 100 points. And this guy still is going to get another year to see what he can do coming into that situation and so whatever happens is is that dude's got nothing to worry about. Now, that said, here's the caveat. Emmett Jones currently is the interim head coach for Kansas. If Emmett Jones goes into the season as the interim head coach for Kansas, then all of a sudden this position goes from number three to number 10 on my list because Emmett Jones is absolutely 100% on the hot seat coaching for his job. And he only has to win like three or four games to keep his job. But this is in can- one season, right? Three or four games in one but season this or is- over the course of three. No, in one season, <laughs> if, if he can win two games, three games and look competitive, then he's going to keep that job. But uh, the truth is you're the interim head coach. And if you go into the season as the interim head coach, then, then there's no hope for you. I mean, they're really, I mean, this is Kansas, okay? So you're not going to have a winning season as the interim head coach, which means they will be full-on looking for another head coach. Now, that said, if Emma Jones goes into the season as the head coach, they take the interim tag off, then I go back to what I just said, grace. So, I mean, so I got whoever coaches Kansas at number three, unless it's Emmett Jones in the capacity as the interim head coach. My number four is your guy, Chris Kleiman at, at yeah, Kansas State. Yeah. And, and again, when, when, you're, when you're in that circle, what you're thinking about is 
progress. How much progress has this team made? And as long as you're beating Oklahoma in Manhattan, and then you come to Norman the next year and you beat this team in Norman, that's progress. This guy has nothing to worry about in 2021. Who you got at number five? Uh, and no, no, no. Oh, no I need four. to give you Sorry, number, number four. four for me. Yeah. yeah. So number four for me, I'm going to go with TCU and Gary Patterson. Oh. And the reason for me placing him so high up on this list, I get the struggles. Mm-hmm. We've all seen it. We just discussed the quarterback situation there. And the talent, the the athleticism that still exists on the roster isn't enough to overcome some of the shortcomings from the signal caller. But when you look at TCU, the first name that comes to mind is and always will be Gary Patterson. Mm-hmm. He, he is the Bill Snyder of um, football at TCU instead of Kansas State. Right. When you think of the man who built this program, his name will always be synonymous with the university. And so I do believe, and I fully bought into this idea, is that Gary Patterson, it doesn't matter the success on the field, he will have a job at TCU for as long as he's willing to keep it. I don't know that I can get on board with that. I do know that there is a statue of Gary Patterson just waiting to go up at the moment (laughs) of his departure. But we'll come back to that. Who you got at number five? Number five for me then is going to be for a lot of the reasons that you've mentioned with Kansas, it's going to be Baylor. Now, okay. now Baylor, I get that they weren't expecting a winning season. And a lot of people are going to hearken back to what happened under Matt Rule. One in 11 in their first season, his his first year as the head coach, they turned things around and they're competing in the Big 12 for a Big 12 championship. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know that Dave Aranda is the same kind of coach that Matt Rule is, I don't know that he's going to get that same level of productivity. I don't know he's going to get that same level of buy-in that Matt Rule infamously did here in the Big 12 with a program that biggest turnaround. Wasn't he the coach of the year? National coach of the year that Assistant, year? Assistant, right. With LSU, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, 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 not Dave Aranda, Matt Rule. Oh, oh, sorry, yes. The coach right, of the year right. that year. If he wasn't, he certainly should have been. I would have to go and look that up. Needless to say, um, I, again, am not saying that there's that kind of a trajectory for Dave Aranda heading into this upcoming season, but I do think there's, there's promise and there's hope for people mm-hmm. because of their very short history with Matt Rule. It gives him a little bit of leeway. It gives him that leash that I've talked about, but he will have to produce and that seat will only get hotter for him moving forward. Okay. My number five is, is Steve Sarkeesian. And uh, the, there's nothing that he's going to do outside of doing something inappropriate that will get him fired. Um, and now there is a history there of inappropriate behavior to get him fired, but there's nothing that he's going to do on the field. I should say to get fired in 2021. Now, I know I see the look on your face, uh, but there is a ton of pressure on this man, a ton of pressure. And it's everything from the X's and O's to what happens culturally within this program and things that he doesn't even have control over. When you talk about the culture of the 40 acres, this is a guy who is going to live under a microscope. I think he's completely in the solid for 2021, but of, of all the guys that are listed on the top five, that are in the solid for 2021, he's sleeping less at night. So I've got him at number five. 
This is going to be the one name that we disagree the most on. Oh, sweet. I can't wait. So we're going to jump into our our top, our bottom five here in just a few minutes, but we're going to kind of break the monotony up of this, and we're going to move into true or false questions. Rich is the guy on the microphone asking the questions this week. Matt, as you know, it is once again time for true or false, and it's quite uh, hysterical to me. I know that you don't know what's on this list of true or false questions, but I feel as though we focus so much on football and all of my true or false questions are centering around basketball. Oh, good. So surprise, surprise. It is your turn to answer the questions. I don't know how knowledgeable you're going to be about these, but we're going to jump. Are you going to ask me like the, like the highest rated recruit ever from the, okay. No, we're, we're going to jump right in do some things that are a little more relevant than right. that question was right. Let's do it. in the past. Now, one thing that you and I have already talked about here this evening is Devion Harmon and Alondis Williams mm-hmm. have entered. It's official. They are in the transfer portal. And I've mentioned there's a plethora of other names that we can mention as well that are looking to part ways with the program. It's leaving this huge void. So true or false, um, these transitions, the transfers, the declarations for the NFL draft or to go pro, even if that's overseas, true or false, that should not come as a surprise to fans of the Oklahoma Sooners. You said NFL draft, but you meant NBA, NBA, right? I okay. did, yes. Um, I, I, I think I'm going to say false because of the volume. Okay, so I, I think anytime you have a coaching transition, you expect there to be guys that leave the program. It happens. Anywhere it happens. But to have volume like this, Iwakor, gone. Trey Phipps, gone. Davian Harmon, gone. Austin, Austin Reeves, gone. Yeah, you mentioned Kirkweth. Uh, you know, Brady Manick, gone. You know, there's just so many guys that were on this roster a month ago that are just gone. I don't think it's within the realm of expectation to basically lose everybody. I mean, Mo Gibson's looking around that locker room going, um, I got Elijah Harkless here. <laughs> Who else do I have with me at this point? So I, I do think, like I said, I, th- I think you, you expect transition and turnover when you lose the coaches. But I think they lost the players when Carlin Hartman was told he wouldn't get the job either, that it would be a brand new transition, brand new philosophy. They're going, they're rebuilding it. Uh, well, I guess they're going to start building on the foundation that Long Kruger laid, but it will not resemble the Long Kruger era. So I think the players, I don't think that's settled well with the players. And and I don't know 100% that we can say that for sure Harmon's gone or Brady Manning's gone. Their foot is clearly out the door. But look, if, if North Carolina is offering Brady Manning, the kid's got talent and people want him. So Porter Mosier surely is in his ear saying, please come back. And this isn't an issue with Porter Mosier going, no, nah, you don't fit here. But if you do come here, you're going to have to toughen up. If you do come here, you're going to have to change your game just a little bit. And I think there's some of those conversations happening. But again, false because I think the the number of transfers and in, in NBA declarations are – European declarations in Kirk West's uh, instance, it's a little bit alarming. Well, I'm going to ask this as a bonus question. This one was not on my list. I'm I'm going to cut one so we keep it at five, but this is going to replace a question that I had originally or a true or false statement that I had originally included. 
true or false, this is going to be the norm. Let me explain what I mean when I say the norm. The way that things have transpired is there is, because of the transfer portal, there mm -hmm. is essentially a free agent market for collegiate athletes, uh -huh. as well as for the coaches and the programs that have needs and are looking to fill some gaps that currently exist or they know will exist in the very near future. Everyone is entering their name. They're exploring their options. It doesn't mean that they're gone. It doesn't mean that they're coming back, but it really does put these coaches in a state of flux of saying, we have to prepare for the future mm -hmm. and we have to know what we have in order to prepare for that future and what we hope to achieve in the upcoming season. But when I talk about the norm is that when a new coach is installed inside of a program, whereas the former one was very well received by the fan base, by the right. players, and very well respected by those in the community. When you replace a guy like that, true or false, the norm is now going to be for players to become quote unquote free agents in the collegiate market. I mean, it goes back very similar to, to your, your first question. And it's, I, I think here's what coaches are going to have to do. So we see Porter Mosier going out and he's getting high school kids. You got Austin Mason. All right. The Nolan kid said he's still on um, the, I'm blanking on the kid's name uh, from, uh, from Kingfisher uh, right now. He's still on. So you're, you're, you're hitting those high school guys, but you got to recruit the transfer portal as well. So you got to, you've got to recruit on two fronts now. And it's a little bit more difficult I think to recruit the transfer portal because you're trying to sell your program to guys who have already experienced a collegiate program. So if you're, if you're going after, you know, a kid from Kansas city and, and the Mason kid, I mean, yeah, he played high school ball in Kansas city, which is a major metropolitan area, but you can still sell the facilities of Norman uh, at the Lloyd Noble center. You can still sell your coaching philosophy. But but to a kid coming from Kansas, who who Kansas has plays I mean prior to COVID, that that place that Allen Fieldhouse is packed every night regardless of who the opponent is, and now you got to sell not just your philosophy as a coach and your program, you got to sell that facility being 25% capacity on any given night, and and so I think it's it's more difficult to recruit out of the transfer portal unless you're going after a guy like loyal from Loyola Chicago, because I mean, look, maybe he's going to play in a packed house at Loyola Chicago, but he's going to play in front of the same amount of fans in Norman. It's just because it's a bigger arena. It's less full. I don't think, I still don't think it's the norm to have mass exodus like this. I'm not saying it's the norm today. The question is, I, will I, it be no, the norm I, in the future? I don't think so. I, I, I think it. I think each situation will hinge upon that hire. You, you, if you get a so, guy, so your answer is false, right? Because you didn't see this in Texas, right? Shaka mm -hmm. Smart is gone, and, and then everybody declared for the NBA draft. But what I'm saying is. But you don't have the transfer market that you mm -hmm. have. They, they like who they got. They, they've seen the product in the Big 12. And it's not going to be a big, major philosophical change what they're doing on the court. Mosier's going to change a lot of things. Not that Lincoln Riley did it wrong. Lincoln Riley. Not that, that, that Lon Kruger did it wrong. But Mosier's coming in. He's a different guy. 
it's defense. It's going to be Mosier's a lot more like Kel, Kelvin Sampson than he is like Lon Kruger. And so he's coming in. This is what I do. This is what got me this $6 million. This is what got me to the final four. This is what upset number one, Illinois. This is what I do. And I'm going to build it here and you can be a part of that or I'll just take longer, but I'm going to build it here. And so I, I think this, the situation is a little bit different than what you see at other schools. I don't think it'll be the norm across the board because they went with such a great philosophical difference in coaches. It's a little bit different here. When it comes to the roster vacancies, I don't want to rehash the number of players that are in the transfer portal, but I think the expectation at this point is for Moser to fill the roster with transfers, with players who are immediately eligible and players who are capable of living within the system that he's going to to employ here in Norman for the foreseeable future. So the true or false um, segment statement of this question, Matt, really comes into we know that the transfers are coming. We we know that that's a given. Yeah, can we get on board yeah, with that? Yeah, yeah. So the, the transfers it's true. Are, the transfers are coming, but true or false, doesn't matter how many transfers Porter Moser gets for this upcoming roster, he's still going to rely on his young players, more specifically the freshmen, to build off of them over the course of a four-year career. Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, Cortez, that's the kid's name I couldn't think of from mm -hmm. Kingfisher. Um, he's a talent. I mean, he he's a talent. C.J. Nolan is a talent. I, I think Mosier's selling them as you guys are the future of this program. But if you, you get in a fifth-year starter at point guard, I, I mean, I, I, how do you not at least go uh, give that guy a look? If you're if you're Mo Gibson, you're going to be a senior. You you've you know you've been a star everywhere you've been. I just I just don't know that you're gonna say yeah you, all these other guys are taking a back seat to this baby right here I'm put this 18 year old kid from Kingfisher Oklahoma that I'm putting on the on the court I, I don't know that that's gonna happen you know what I'm saying I think for sure what Mojo's gonna do is he's gonna put his most talented five guys on the court and everyone's gonna get a chance to be in that mix but I don't know if if CJ Nolan comes in here. And he's one of the five most talented guys. Yeah, Mojo's going to lean heavy on that guy. But if C.J. Nolan comes in and he's not, uh, someone else transfers in, with, and, and Nolan's just needs a year to develop, he's going to play, but let that other guy have the, have the turn at this moment. I, I, just, I, I think it's way too early to answer that question le legitimately because we don't know what this roster is going to look like come August. So I'm gonna say I hate I always feel like I always say false on your question. Okay. But That's I feel okay. like I'm gonna say false here. <laughs> well let's get another one from you then. This is the question the the one that if there were any that you could forecast I would ask, this would be it. Okay. And because you've alluded to it at this point in time, what we know that Moser had at Loyola Chicago was an all American center. Undersized, amazing footwork. Right. Does that sound familiar with Gonzaga? Maybe not the undersized part, but this incredible legendary footwork from a center in order to create an advantage for yourself. Cameron Crutwig, Kurtwig, Crutwig, however you are supposed to say that name. Uh -huh. um, I, I know that he kind of 
took over as a viral sensation four years ago during that Final Four run. People remembered him this year as they made the run to the Sweet 16, proving that the Final Four wasn't just a fluke when they downed number one Illinois, as you've already mentioned as well. But like I said, this kid was an an All-American. Sure, it was the third team, so you can discredit that if you want, but it's not going to take away from the fact that he was labeled as an All-American. And when we're looking at the number of transfers that Oklahoma could potentially take, the true or false part comes in by saying Crudwig will be one of those. Has he entered the portal? He he hasn't. Okay. He also hasn't declared for the draft. I don't think he's a draft worthy guy. I'm just saying. I don't. Um, what's he? Uh, six seven. Six eight. Six eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, six nine. It really depends on the website that you look I, at. I really hope if he. I really hope if he does come to Oklahoma, he at least gets rid of the mustache. I'm just going to say that. I felt the same way about Landry Jones when he was a freshman and he had that terrible about mustache. Adam Morrison? Um, but, I mean, Adam Morrison had, had a legitimate mustache. This guy – anyway, um, look, I, I think – The connection's there. The connection's there, but what what's the, – The buy-in to the coaching style is there. Right. There, there's a lot going in favor, not, which is why this is a difficult one. No, but here's – yeah, here's why it's difficult to me, though – is how much isn't he from Chicago? Like he he's is. a Chicago he kid, is. right? Uh-huh. So how much does he enjoy playing at home? Well, how much does he enjoy that experience there? The flip argument, the other side of that equation, Matt, is going to a Power Five conference. Will it bring enough eyeballs no. to push you I don't up into so. the NBA draft? I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, One final hurrah, yes or no? Uh. At OU at with OU, Porter Moser. Here's what it comes down to. Does he love Porter Moser more than he loves Loyola Chicago? That's what it's going to come down to. Yeah, especially if he graduated. Because he's Saying from yes. because he's from Chicago, I'm going to say false. He doesn't come. See, I, I knew we'd get another one out of you. Four for four. <laughs> four for four. Let's see if we can make it five, okay? I'm an, I am going to flip over to football for Yay! you. I don't know if you... No, wait, wait. Before you do this, because I want to know what your bonus question was. Was your bonus question basketball or football? It was basketball. Let's, I already let's asked it. No, I mean, you're, you're the one you threw out. Oh, it was about it was about Bryce Thompson, but we don't need, really False. need to Bryce discuss. Thompson is not coming to OU. All right, there we go. Number, number... <laughs> is he coming to the state of Oklahoma? I don't think he's going to transfer in conference. Okay. That's just me. Okay. That's the one I removed to add okay. the bonus question because right. I felt like the, the bonus one became better. That's beside the point, Matt. That's looking, unless Oklahoma State hires his brother to be an assistant coach. Looking – shut it. <laughs> looking at some of the news that was coming from various outlets, this one being Texas HS for high school, texashighschoolfootball.com, did a ranking of best all-time right. right. players. I know, I know where you're going. Yes, uh-huh. best all-time players high school wise from the state of Texas. Now, Oklahoma and the Sooners are not unfamiliar to the level of talent and the level of football that's played in the state of Texas. It's why they recruit it. Oh, so heavily each and every year and rely on players from South of the red river to populate the roster. And in order to be competitive, not just in the big 12, not just in the conference, but also nationally with high profile names, Matt, such as an Adrian Peterson, and Earl Campbell. Uh, Earl I, Campbell didn't come to Oklahoma, though. I know. I'm okay, not talking okay. about him right. coming to Oklahoma. Uh, okay. I'm just saying Texas high school football okay, players. Gotcha. I mean, we I'm, can throw out – I know a lot of people want to throw out Vince Young into this yeah. conversation. I know that a lot of people want to throw out um, Cedric Benson. And, and these are Texas players. I get that. They want to throw out these names 
into this conversation, but the one player who took the cake was Kyler Murray. Right. True or false, TexasHighSchoolFootball.com got it right. And it's only only football. Only football. But didn't he win like four state championships? I don't know. Allen yeah. Allen is a powerhouse. Yeah. And I know that when you talk about, not you specifically, Matt, but when people begin to talk about who Allen hired as their next right. football coach, they thought it w- should resolve or dissolve the situation more so between Lincoln Riley and Chandler Morris and TCU football. It has not done that. And if anyone thinks that Allen is not going to be on Oklahoma's radar and won't be a pipeline for Oklahoma, I, I think that your glasses are colored a specific color. That That's just my take. Right. He won some state football state football championships. Yes. I don't know how many, but I know it was at Allen. Yeah, but he had like – I mean, he had astronomical – like he had almost 200 touchdowns in three years as a varsity quarterback, something like I, I don't I don't I don't know his stats off the top of my head, but it was like in the 180s, high 180s, on 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 touchdown. I mean, think about it in three seasons, three seasons, 180 something touchdowns. I could be totally wrong on that and sound like a goof right now, but I want to say his passing yards was over it was over 10,000. He, he, I mean, statistically, the dude. I, I gotta say, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know what Adrian Peterson ran for in high school, but I can tell you, Adrian Peterson didn't score, oh, almost 200 touchdowns. Well, and he didn't touch the ball as many times. That's the as point Kyler I'm Murray making. Did. I mean, Kyler Murray was legitimate dual threat guy. Um, so I, and I'm pretty sure wasn't he the. I think he was the Gatorade uh, player of the year for Texas um, his senior year. So now I know everyone, every year there's a new Gatorade player of the year, but I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say they got it right because Kyler Murray was phenomenal in high school. Three straight state championships and 43 game win streak. Okay. Does it have his passing yards? It does have his passing yards. How close was I? What was your number? I said 10,000 and something. Yeah. 10,386. What about the touchdowns? Passing touchdowns? Uh, total combined. Okay, so you have a 117 passing? passing touchdowns and 69 rushing. Okay, that's one. That's one. 190. 190. Okay, um, I was close. Uh, math was hard right there. So 190? It's not no, 190. no, no. Well, yeah, well, you said 117. I said 190. It's 186. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there we go. Um, the year you were born. No. Um. <laughs> so yeah, there we go. True or false? I'm gonna say true to that one, and I'll snap my streak of false answers here we go we got to wrap this up we got our, our bottom five coaches as far as job security goes plus uh, lincoln riley calling out some names guys he's impressed with uh in spring ball there's ones specifically that kind of caught me off guard and i want to know what richard thinks about that well if you like the extended version of the center nation podcast congratulations because it looks like this is going to be one of them uh here we go real fast bottom five of coaches in the Big 12. These are guys whose job security is not that great. I, now, that said, I, I want to preface this by saying, in my opinion, Rich, I think there's really only two coaches that are legitimately on the hot seat to be fired this coming year. And 
clearly those would be the two guys on the bottom of my list. I'm curious what you have. I'm going to start because I'll let you go first uh, with the top five. So moving into the bottom six, the guys who are a little bit uneasy, not necessarily they're going to get fired, but, but there's some steam, right? And you got to start in Stillwater, Oklahoma with Mike Gundy, where there is a large portion of the fan base, and that's moving into the boosters who are just not satisfied with the winningest coaching program history. Mike Gundy doesn't have the greatest relationship with the athletic director, Mike Holder. And look, guys are tired. Think about this. Oklahoma State, they're tired of 9-10 win seasons, but coming without Big 12 championships and coming without Bedlam victories. Mike Gundy's on the hot seat. He's number six for me. I had Kansas at number six, and I I think that they are a bottom a bottom five when it, we come to the group of ten in the Big Twelve. And a lot of that reason being is is Kansas is looking for those glory days. I don't think they're ever going to hit that, and so they are going to consistently be unhappy regardless of the name that is as the head coach until someone finds and strikes gold and does reproduce what happened in the early 2000s. I, sh- I shouldn't say early, the late 2000s with this program. Again, I, I don't think that's going to happen. So any name who gets in there is always going to have to worry about whether their their job is secure or not. And I see Kansas really as a stepping stone. The one issue and why they fall at number five, I, I guess I could have put them lower here. Um, but I know under Les Miles, the offensive coordinator took a group of five job. That tells you... <laughs> the kind of job security and whether that really is a stepping stone or not, like I believe it to be. So it's very indicative of them as a program and any, any coach who will ever come behind less miles. I just, I always like to uh, remind Kansas fans that they won the sugar, the, uh, the orange bowl in 2009, but Mike, uh, Mark Mangino was too fat and too mean to be their head coach. All right. Who you got? Number seven. Number seven for me, I'm going to go with West Virginia. So you're seeing a huge discrepancy Uh here, Matt, between some of the names that we've thrown out. And West Virginia, Neil Brown, I think that he, given the situation, specifically at quarterback, given the situation that he's had to deal with, he's kept West Virginia in the mix. They haven't been completely at the bottom, but they haven't been at the top. They've just floated somewhere in the middle for for two seasons now, really. Right. I know that West Virginia is at a point of saying we need to be on this upward trend. It's why I've got him in in the bottom half of this conversation. It's why I got him below the Kansas, um, the Kansases of the world, if you will, is because people are going to start questioning. And you're going to find this out about my my number seven, excuse me, my number eight as well. People are going to start questioning which direction is this program actually headed in mm-hmm. and it will reveal itself and it will be telling of the, again, we're talking about job security here or being in the hot seat. I don't think it happens this year, but 2022 could be a huge year for West Virginia. Okay. I've got number seven. One of the guys you had in your top five, I've got Gary Patterson at TCU. And again, I'm not saying Gary Patterson will be fired this year, but they're starting to get there. They're starting to be some rumblings. Look, we love you, coach. You built this program. You won the Rose Bowl before we even joined the Big 12. You had us in the Big 12 championship game, but maybe you're sticking around too long. Maybe that they need another voice. Maybe look, we got the statue ready for you, but maybe it's time. And I think 2021 goes a long way for Gary Patterson showing that he can still do it. He can still build it. He can still work miracles. I mean, he beat Texas last year, so he had that going for him. But the point is, I, I there's there's growing there, there's people. It's it's that Mike Gundy factor. What we're doing is not enough. We want more. 
Um, so I got Gary Patterson number seven. Another guy you had in your in your top five. I've got Dave Aranda and Baylor at number eight. I'm surprised by that. Well, one. here here's the thing. You got to remember where Baylor was two seasons ago. They had Oklahoma on the ropes in Waco, right? And then they take on the Sooners in in Dallas for the Big 12 championship game, a game that goes into overtime. This team was knocking on the door, and then you take this giant step backwards. I understand it's a first-year guy. And keep in mind, only my last two are the ones— He's got two wins. Matt Rule just had one. Well, but the point I'm making—exactly. You go from that pinnacle to almost winning a, a, a conference title to two wins, Okay. And there's that's just that doesn't settle well because people expect maybe a little bit of a step backwards. That's a giant leap backwards. Again, I'm not saying that this is a make or break year for him in 2021. What I am saying is there is some smoke there that he's going to have to start dealing with if the Bears can't find themselves to bowl eligibility this coming fall. Number eight for me, Matt, is going to be Oklahoma State. I get the relationship aspect that you've mentioned, but you also have to look at the record of Oklahoma State just over the past three years, I think is very, very telling. They're 14 and 13 in the Big 12 Conference. If you were to say that that was the case under Mike Gundy with some of the names that have come through that program, it seems almost as if it's a lie. Uh But the truth is, Oklahoma State 14 and 13. I feel as though what they found themselves in, and I love Long Kruger. I'm not using this as a knock, but they found themselves really plateauing. And that's what I said about Long Kruger after 10 years at the University of Oklahoma. Mike Gundy, for me, has plateaued at the university, that he's reached the pinnacle. And if he doesn't prove that he can get over some of the hurdles that currently exist for him, one of those being Oklahoma, if he can't get over these hurdles, it seems as though it's inevitable that Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy will part ways. Let me give you number nine here then as well, because number nine for me, this is the one I said we'd have the biggest discrepancy on. It is Steve Sarkeesian. It is Texas. You've talked about the lofty expectations. Mm -hmm. I think Texas legitimately thinks with Sarkeesian as the head coach, they will be competing for a Big 12 championship. I don't know that that's realistic. But what I do know... When has Texas ever been realistic with their expectations? Hey, it doesn't matter. What I do know is that Texas is bleeding money in order to keep Sarkeesian on this staff. And if he doesn't produce, it's not going to bode well for either party. Yeah, I'm sticking to my guns. I see what you're saying, but I'm sticking to my guns. I don't think there's anything that Sark does on the field that gets him fired in 2021. I really don't. I think the, the, the flames can die down or the flames can amp up in 2021, but I don't think he gets fired. Um, number nine, a guy who I do think could get fired in 2021 is West Virginia's Neil Brown, uh, just because it hasn't worked. You've had two seasons, and it hasn't worked. If it doesn't work three seasons in a row, typically you're done after that third season where it doesn't work. And so that's all I'm going to say. Neil Brown, number nine, uh, he's on the chopping block. Number 10, let's Matt say it together. Wells, uh, Texas or you Tech. say it alone. Oh, sorry, okay. sorry. Start over. Number 10. We say it together. One, Matt. two, three. Matt, <laughs> Matt Wells. Wells. Uh, this is a wow, guy total that total failure. Yeah, they they wanted him done after last season. There was a, a growing contention of people that wanted him out of Texas Tech after last season. That's why I'm blown away by ESPN saying, "Hey, number 25, number 24. Oh no, number 23. There's Texas Tech." Um, and and to to that point, I think when you look at a top 10 team in Oklahoma State. That doesn't help Mike Gundy at this point. 
No. That so I just I I think Matt Wells, Neil Brown, the only two that really have a chance to get axed next year the, after this season. But Mike Gundy's sliding down that list, in my opinion, mm-hmm. rapidly. Um, so the only thing that. I'm going to say about Matt Wells, Matt, is something that you and I have discussed, and it's that when you begin seeking out new coordinators, it says you're trying to address a problem mm-hmm. that currently exists. But if those new coordinators don't work, yeah. you know that you're next on the chopping yeah. block. I and, mean, look and, at Tom Herman. That's a perfect right. example. Uh-huh. Matt Wells is in a very similar situation to what, what Tom Herman just experienced. Yep. Okay. Oklahoma adds, uh, here we go. Let's jump in some spring football notes to close this out. Uh, Oklahoma adds Josh Plaster as a, uh, as a transfer. He's a place kicker. Plaster is a, a kid who lost his job at Arizona state and he's going to come into Oklahoma as a backup. Um, you got to keep in mind that the Sooners did lose a backup place kicker to the transfer portal. So this is a, this is a, uh, I, I saw someone on Twitter go, Oh man, Gabe Burkich better watch out. You know, he's no, that's not what this is. This is all about depth. You, you, you lose a guy in, in Sutherland uh, to the transfer portal. You gotta, you gotta have a backup kicker. Do you not? And so that's why this kid comes in as a backup kicker. And uh, I don't, I don't, I, the way I look at it, Rich, I don't see Gabe Burkich in any trouble at all losing his job. I mean, no, I, I don't either. The only question I've got is this: he, his, his appearance reminds you of another player in the Big Twelve. Oh gosh, I don't know. Where, where are you going? With I, that? I don't know. I, I just see this picture of Plaster, and immediately I think is turn around. Let me see the photo that you're talking about. I'm, I'm thinking, did they get the wrong person? Did they did they actually put a photo of Dicker the kicker? No, I don't see it. That that's sacrilegious, man. I don't see that right there. Um okay, I'm just moving on from that. You um, should. Okay, so Lincoln Riley met with the media. We're recording this on April 15th. Happy tax day, by the way. Um Lincoln Riley called out four specific names of guys that he actually five. Um Guys that just are really having a good spring right now. Do you know any of these names? Have you seen any of this? No, no. Okay, I, haven't, I haven't done my research. Here there's on this one part. that's that's mega surprising to me, and we're gonna but but he, he he talks about Jordan Kelly. Yeah, I lied to you. I've seen one one name. Okay, my apologies. Is it the surprise one? I don't know. Okay, so we're gonna go to it then. Uh, Jordan Kelly, Josh Ellison calls those two guys out having great springs. To me, that just solidifies my belief that this will be the best defensive front in the mm-hmm. Big 12 and one of the top five in the nation. And, and Kelly had some surprise moments last year that, yeah. that showed his potential. Absolutely, He's he did. finally living up to that is what it sounds like to me. And so I've got no complaints with your statement. I've got no arguments against it either. He calls out Tyrese Robinson and Eric Swenson. I find Eric Swinson a little bit interesting because he's the guy that you and I are both like, this dude's no way he's winning a job, right? right. But maybe it's like, hey, hey. How long has he been on campus? Swinson? Like seven years now? Like 30, I think. Um, I'm like, yes, yeah, his age. He's like Chris Winkie, 27. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see Tyrese Robinson's name there because that was a position – that was one of the guys we called out, man. He started that season. He didn't look like he was in shape. He didn't look like anybody pushed him. And the fact that he's got guys pushing him now and he's showing true potential enough for Lincoln Riley to really just say, hey, this guy's having a great spring. You've got to be encouraged by that because, remember, this battle of the fine five starting offensive linemen is going to be epic – will not be resolved by the end of spring football this month and really won't be resolved 
until about two weeks from kickoff, in my opinion. But the fact that Coach Riley is saying Tyrese Robinson really is out there and he's doing great, um, that's, that should be very encouraging to Sooner Nation to hear that. So, so Rich, have I mentioned the name that you did see? No, you haven't. So that leaves us with Justin Broyles. No, so no, maybe, who, maybe, you, who else do maybe, you have? Maybe I had seen um, something that was a little bit older than what you've seen. It was DJ Graham. Yeah, that was earlier in the week. Mm, okay, I'm talking, okay. Yeah, this is fresh. But Justin Broyles, the, the last time we saw Justin Broyles, he was getting torched. He was getting torched by LSU in the Peach Bowl, which totally, you know, I, again, not he, he got put in a bad situation uh, in that game, having to go in, uh, you know, as, as a spot starter. But Lincoln Riley says this is a guy who's really making a lot of strides this spring. Now, keep in mind, he, he came to campus as a, I think, I want to say he was the top player in his recruiting class, right? And that was a talented class that came in. That Ronnie Perkins was in that class. Um, or was it? Kenneth Murray. Now I'm thinking it might have been Kenneth Murray, but maybe it was Ronnie Perry. I'm just saying he had a, a very talented class that came in around him, and he was the crown jewel of that class. But he's the guy that really hasn't lived up to all the expectations that were placed upon him upon arriving to campus here in Norman. But the, now there's the potential. Could this guy actually be a player when it comes to this defense? Here's what Lincoln Riley said specifically about Justin Broyles. He says, Justin Broyles has had a really nice spring in our secondary. I think it's the best that he's consistently performed since he has been here. And he's been here for a while. I think he's going into his fifth year. But I think he's a, in a great spot, and he's doing some really nice things. So here's my question to you, Center Nation. Does it make you nervous that Justin Broyles is really kind of reaping, getting some praise from Lincoln Riley? Or... Are you happy for the guy? Where, where do you stand on that? Because, again, he's a guy that just – I think he's he's only made a handful of starts in his uh, time on campus. And there may not be a guy, particularly on the defensive side of this roster, who has more to prove you know, going into this final year of college football than Justin Broyles. Oh, you wanted me to answer that? If you wanted to. Hey man, uh, I, I'm going to take the stance of just being happy for a guy because what it says to me is that behind the scenes, despite – any of the shortcomings, despite any of the hurdles, despite any of the obstacles that were in his way, he's finally overcoming those right. and living up to the billing that he had coming out of high school. Because we know that a lot of these players are star players and they have a natural ability about them. They have instincts that other players simply don't have that set them apart. And then you get to that collegiate level and everybody's on on a very similar playing field you're not just ridiculously talented to the point that you're going to overtake someone without any hard work so needless to say like i said it to me on the surface looks as though he's getting the praise because the hard work is finally paying off for him yeah i, I am in the same boat as you all right that's going to wrap it up elongated version of the sooner nation podcast but hey we're glad to be able to provide it for you have a great weekend oklahoma texas softball this weekend you got to check that out We'll be back next week. We got a preview of the NFL draft as well as uh, the spring game. Boomer Sooner, everybody.